Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 84 called Jacqueline. On this episode, I'm proud to partner with Circle Surrogacy. Surrogacy and egg donation can feel like an overwhelming process at first, and having an experienced agency to partner with you and guide you through the process can make a world of difference. Circle Surrogacy and Egg Donation has been making parenthood possible for 25 years, bringing more than 2,200 babies into the world. What sets Circle apart from other surrogacy agencies is that almost half of the staff have personal experience as a surrogate, a parent through surrogacy, or as an egg donor, or has grown their families through IVF or adoption. They are passionate about helping others achieve their dreams of having a baby because they've been there themselves. Circle provides exceptional knowledge and experience, fixed costs and financing, and the highest success rate in the business. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com and follow them on social media at Circle Surrogacy. Thanks, Circle. Today's episode is sponsored by Prove's new Predict and Confirm Kit, which helps you both predict your most fertile days and also confirm successful ovulation. You all know how much I love products that were made for women by women and Prove is no exception. It was invented by infertility veteran and PhD scientist, Amy Beckley, whose own infertility journey lasted three long years and included seven miscarriages. When Amy finally uncovered the cause of her trouble conceiving, a luteal phase defect, which meant she wasn't ovulating properly, she finally got pregnant with the help of her doctor and a simple supplement. Proves Predict and Confirm is a dual hormone kit that has 15 LH tests and five PDG tests. Each kit has enough strips for one full cycle of tracking. LH is important for predicting peak fertility so you know the best time to try. Also, testing PDG days 7, 8, 9, and 10 past peak fertility can confirm if successful ovulation has occurred. Proves Predict and Confirm kit can give you the full picture on ovulation. It's the perfect fertility hormone tracking pair. Get ready to become an ovulation pro with Prove, Predict and Confirm. Get yours at provetest.com. That's P-R-O-O-V-T-E-S-T.com. Thanks, Prove. Okay, guys. So I can't wait to tell you about Jacqueline Mish, who is on my show today. You might recognize her as a contestant on the show Survivor. She was on the Survivor San Juan del Sur season with her then boyfriend, John Mish, who is now her husband. And she is such an interesting person. She's also a former Miss Michigan, and she has a large Instagram following, and she uses her platform to speak openly about having a syndrome called MRKH. And she's going to tell us all about that and her journey to starting a family with her husband. So, so far she's been through two IVF retrievals and they have some good news from the surrogate that they've been working with lately too. So she's got such a great attitude. She's super cool. And without further ado, this is Jacqueline's infertility story. Jacqueline, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I want to start with your Instagram because 
when you agreed to be on the show, I started stalking you and there's so many great posts, but one of them that literally made me just like almost burst into tears was a recent one where you're, you know, you guys are holding a board and it says, OMGG, it's working. And it's the two betas, two beta numbers, you know, pregnancy test numbers, obviously. So that just made me, I don't know, the emotion in your faces and all that stuff made me have all the feels. So first of all, thank you for being so public about what you guys have gone through and what you are going through. And I would love to just kind of start at the beginning. So tell me about yourself and when you decided that you wanted to have kids and what happened after that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's been a journey. So, oh my God, that beta post though, when I was putting the words on the letter board, I was, I didn't know what to like proceed it with. Because I wasn't, I didn't want to say, you know, we're pregnant, but I kind of did in the caption, but it's, it was almost just like, okay, what am I feeling? I'm feeling that it's working. Like, I'm just like shocked that it's working finally. Yes. I think that those are the words that really resonated with me too, because I remember, you know, after my really long four-year journey to have my son, my secondary infertility, I thought that same thing. I was like, I can't, I don't feel comfortable saying I'm pregnant right away, but I was like, it worked. It worked. It's working. So I don't know. That just really hit home with me. And I'm like looking at it now and getting chilled again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just, every day I'm like kind of pinch me moment. So we just had our first heartbeat ultrasound, but I guess we could start at the beginning. We've been on our, well, my journey started when I was 16. So I'm 32 now. It's Mm -hmm. been a while, but I was diagnosed with MRKH syndrome, which basically means I was born without a uterus, cervix, or an upper vaginal canal. Mm -hmm. So this happened because I never got a period and my mom was like, okay, what's happening? So she took me to her OBGYN and then they sent me to another OBGYN and they're like, something's not right. They tried to do a pap smear, but like they couldn't get the tool in all the way being mm-hmm. frank here. But um, then they sent me to a third OBGYN and they didn't know what it was. And we're in Metro Detroit, you know, we're mm-hmm. not in like some foreign land that doesn't have medical care. So then they referred me finally to the University of Michigan where I saw a development of sexual disorder specialist. Wow. And that's when they diagnosed me with MRKH syndrome. So it occurs in one in 5,000 women globally. And they still don't know why it happens, but they do know happens it ha- in the mother's u- in utero. So mm-hmm. it already it happened within the first trimester of my like development. Mm-hmm. So you had no idea growing up at all until you weren't getting your no, period and you went to all these specialists. No idea. Did you have um, any other symptoms in retrospect that you realized was it could be attributed to that? No. And that's like the problem with MRKH diagnosis is because you don't know until you like either go to have sex and it doesn't go in all the way, or that's pretty much all the only way. So mm-hmm. when I was born, they did, I had a pelvic hernia. And so when they fixed my hernia, I think I was nine months old, the doctors were whispering something out in the hallway and my mom remembers that. So she thinks that they saw that I didn't have a uterus, but they mm. didn't tell her. Whoa. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But So yeah, uh, MRKH is kind of, oh my gosh, the first 15, 16 years of your life, you have this whole idea of you're going to have a baby bump and I was playing with babies. And then my diagnosis was you can't carry your own baby and you need to either dilate or have a vaginal reconstructive surgery to have sex. So I'm like freaking out. I'm like, am I like a transvestite? Like, am I intersex? What am I? It's just yeah. like a whole 
I don't know what to think. And I was, you know, when you're 16, it's already fragile, Mm -hmm. fragile age. I just wanted to fit in with my friends and I had a boyfriend and, you know, just the whole 16 year old confusion thing. So, right. So how did you deal with that? Did you, were you able to find like a group or something or people, other people that had this diagnosis or like what happened? No. So I kind of just hit it for years. I didn't talk about it with anyone. I opened up a little bit in college to my roommates, basically like drunk nights, like you guys, I can't have kids. And you know, <laughs> but were you able, sorry, if this is too much, but were you able to have sex? I mean, oh, yeah. did you, you've, okay. yeah, let's go back to that. So I chose to dilate. So that is the number one treatment in the United States dilation, because you're not like taking on any skin. You're not doing a skin graft or anything. Um, and all feeling is still there. So I dilated. It usually takes, it's different with everyone. Everyone's born with a different length, but it only took me maybe two months with a dilator. You literally just like hold it inside you. Mm-hmm. It was so awkward, but my boyfriend, like I wanted to have sex with my boyfriend and then we just started having sex and everything was fine. Okay. So I've, I haven't had a problem since then. And it's been like 16 years, mm-hmm. um, but the problem was, is he was cheating on me too. So that sucked. Mentally. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, how do you, okay. I just want to get a little detail because I don't know anything about this and I'm sure people, there's people probably listening that yeah. have this and have never heard anybody else talking about it. So what you hold, like, what do you hold inside and for while you're having sex or like beforehand or like, how does Whoa. it work? So, okay. It's basically like you are stretching the skin. So think about like childbirth. It's like really stretchy skin down there, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, it's not a dildo, but it's mm-hmm. it's a medical, like it's literally a prescription and mm-hmm. it's just a plastic tool that you just hold in and you put, apply pressure and it just elongates it and stretches it. And so okay. this is all under care of a doctor. You have to go in like every two weeks to make sure you're doing it at the right angle. Gotcha. Yada, 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 yada. Okay. So it's traumatizing for a teenager, right? Wow. Like, That's a lot. That's a <laughs> yeah. lot. Yeah. And you know, I'm just grateful I'm born in the United States because depending on what religion and culture you're born in, like you're not allowed to do that. Wow. Yeah. So okay. yeah. Did you ever find anybody else along the way that had the same thing as you? Yeah. So flash forward to 2013. This is like so random. I, I am six foot tall. I played sports my whole life. Yeah. And I decided after I graduated college that I wanted to enter a pageant, which Mm -hmm. is like seriously so random. My whole family was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, and so I entered Miss Michigan USA in 2013 and I ended up winning. Yes, you did. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, what does this mean? Now what? So like two months into it, I went to the director and I was like, so I was born with this syndrome and it's kind of like a secret. And I told her about it and she's like, oh my God, you should, if you're comfortable, like talk about this because you can connect with people and, you know, make the world a smaller place. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do it. So my basically coming out party was a local ABC station in Detroit and they came to my house. They interviewed my mom and dad. We talked about MRKH. I partnered with the beautiful you MRKH foundation, And that is just, that community has grown so much since its inception. So I emailed them to partner like two months before they started, before they became a registered 501c3. And so we've partnered with University of Michigan for MRKH days. And I've spoke at Boston Children's Hospital. um, And it's just, it's grown so much since the 2012, 2006 days when no one talked about it and there was no internet Mm -hmm. to connect with anyone. Like, 
I remember my mom searching articles and it would just be like scholarly articles about MRKH. And it was like, what is that? You know? Right. But nothing you could relate to, right? Just like medical jargon and like, okay. Yeah. That's so awesome that you came out and were able to talk about it. Think of all the people you've helped just doing that Um, alone, you know? It was so scary the first time because the second article after that was Miss Michigan born without a vagina. Oh God. Where was that? Like oh, yeah. the Inquirer, one of those like dirt. Gosh, I think it was like Business Insider. Oh wow. So random. So yeah, I, I mean the community, I've gotten more positive than negative feedback, I would say though. Yeah. That's good. And it's like, you know, after you get past it and you kind of learn to accept yourself, it's like okay. Right. Yeah. So the, the kid part is the other thing. So, okay. Yes. So let's fast forward to that. So when did you meet your, your guy? So we met in 2011 Mm -hmm. and he was actually the one that encouraged me to come out with it and compete at Miss USA having MRKH syndrome. And so he was just a real integral part of the whole process. And so awesome. Yeah. So when we, we got married in 2015 and a year after, because we didn't know also that I had ovaries because your ovaries and your uterus develop at different times. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that I had ovaries kind of because my hormone levels were normal. And I don't know if it was like lost in translation between the doctor and my parents or what, but I just, I wasn't sure. So after we got married, we got checked and they found my ovaries. They're always really high up because there's nothing to attach to. So they're like high up in my abdomen. And then IVF, our first round of IVF was in 2016. And we got um, back up a little bit and just, you know, when did you, when you guys were dating and all that, when did you feel comfortable talking to him about what was going on with you? Was it hard to talk about? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was one of those late nights. Yeah. (laughs) You can't love me because I can't have kids conversations and I'm crying and he's like, it's fine. We'll figure it out. Like, there are other ways. So he was great about it from the beginning. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I was so scared to tell him though. Cause it's like, oh. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Was it something that you had trouble telling like friends and stuff along the way or like how many people knew in your life that this was something you were dealing with? I would say only about maybe under 20 people knew mm-hmm. before I came out publicly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of like a surprise. <laughs> the problem slash great thing about my husband is that he is so good with kids. Yeah. So right from the beginning, I was like, oh my gosh, I want him to be a dad. Like I, oh my God, it was just like such a dream for me. So it, from the very beginning, it was always like, we need to have kids somehow. Mm-hmm. And then we got married and decided to go down the IVF and surrogacy road. We went to IVF of Mich- IVF Michigan, which was the first clinic we went to, and we we loved them right away. So, first round was actually great. I I felt like I didn't have any symptoms really. We got twelve embryos, wow, day five, and then only six were PGS normal. Mm-hmm. That's a we- lot. Yeah, it was a lot. For I was shocked actually. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, mm-hmm. um, great. And then uh, we froze them for maybe two years before I started looking for a surrogacy agency. Okay, and it's illegal in Michigan for compensated surrogacy. Mm-hmm. So we went to, you know, I just did the the, the old Google, <laughs> looking at reviews and testimonies and what's close in proximity for us because I feel like every freaking penny adds up with travel and absolutely so expensive. Mm -hmm. 
So we signed with an agency in Chicago and we were matched with a carrier a few months later. Mm-hmm. Loved her and her husband. And then... How, can I ask, how was the process with choosing the person and getting matched? Like, how did you know that she was the right person for you? So we wrote a letter and then the agency just basically matched us, but the meeting was so scary. I was literally crying when the psychologist was like, okay, now tell your story and like, and, and just, you know, talk to each other. And it was like, oh my God, this is just crazy because this woman could be carrying our baby, you know? Yes. Oh, um, so of course I started crying and, and they were just so great from the beginning. I felt like it was just, I just, I just trusted her and she had two girls already and it just felt all all very safe. Like we were all very hopeful. Mm -hmm. And so we did our first transfer and that one failed. Mm. Well, so I thought, you know, just kind of from what I'd seen online at that time, like if it's a PGS tested embryo, it just takes. Right. I was so wrong. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that. And I'm glad you yeah. mentioned that because yes, I think you're like, all right, if we do all the things and do them right, and then that we have a healthy PGS tested embryo, like it's just going to work, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, it's great. And I never even really crossed my mind that it wouldn't. And it didn't. And I was crushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're like, all right, we're going to gear up. We're going to do it again two months later. And we did it the second embryo transfer with the second highest quality. So we just, we didn't know the gender or anything. We just said, put in the best one. And then the second time we said, put in the second best one. And that one failed too. So at this point I'm like, what is going on? Like, oh my God. And this was right around Christmas time too. So I'm just like, something's wrong with the embryos that they can't. I don't know. Or maybe she's doing something wrong or maybe her protocol or her meds are wrong. I just, you know, you look for all the answers, but there's no answers, which sucks. Mm -hmm. And then, so two months later we geared up and we did the third embryo transfer and it took, so we had positive beta. We were in the Mm forties and I, that was just like, Oh my God, this is it. Third time's a charm. I called my family. I called my mom, my dad, my mother-in-law were, were, over the moon. We're like, we're pregnant. Oh my God. You know, yes. I was like so naive at that point because I didn't realize there were so many other hurdles to get across before you can actually be like, you're pregnant. I feel like. Yes, I agree. Ugh. And so second beta, two days later, I'm thinking, oh, it's fine. And you know, the clinic's like, we're hopefully optimistic and, and then it dropped to zero. Oh, so wow. beta two dropped to zero. I'm so sorry. That's so hard. Oh, uh, chemical pregnancy, the whole thing. And, oh, that was hard. That was a big one because that point our eight, our surrogacy agency called and they're like, all right, usually after the third fail, the surrogate and the intended parents part ways. And I'm like, oh my God. So was it, it was the same surrogate for the three? Yep. And oh, wow. so we lost her and three embryos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in order to rematch us with another surrogate, it was like $10,000 fee. And I'm like, we don't have the money to do this. Oh my God. So like, can't you just waive the fee guys? <laughs> like right. after all you've been through. Right. Oh gosh. Yeah. So we just, we kind of lost touch with the agency and we're like, we're just gonna, let's do another round of IVF. So that was our plan. We're like, maybe something happened when we transported them by car to Chicago. Like maybe something happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I just, we were thinking of anything. To, mm-hmm. you know, and were you feeling at this point after, I mean, this is so much already to have gone through that you just didn't want to give up? Like, what were you feeling in terms of 
wanting to be a mom and like, what were, what were you going through emotionally? Um, at oh my this point? gosh. Good question. <laughs> yeah. This was probably the lowest point of my life. Like I was also switching careers. So it was very, what is my point of being a human? Like I'm just literally sobbing on in the shower. Like I mm-hmm. found no life motivation. Like I, it was really hard because I didn't know if I would ever be a mom this way. And I was coming to terms with the fact that we might have to just be at peace with it and stop and then maybe go the adoption route. Mm-hmm. And what and about so, John? Like what, how did it affect him and, and your relationship too? I was honestly kind of frustrated because it hit me so much harder than it hit him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's just because of everything I had gone through. And I would be like, why don't you care? And he's like, I do care, but I just, I'm staying hopeful and positive that we'll figure it out. Right. And so yeah, it took me, gosh, maybe six months to feel okay again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Low point. I think that's one of the hardest things with, you know, the going through this with when you're in a relationship and not reacting the same way sometimes. And, it, you know, oftentimes it hits women, the women a lot harder than it hits the guys. And I had that too, where it was just like, why is this? Not that it wasn't a big deal, but it's just a different grieving process. You know, you're like, why aren't you like sobbing on the bathroom floor? Totally. Yeah. And I feel like just as women, it's just so innately connected to our being. Like, mm-hmm. And for men, it's just like, oh, well, you know, I'm not the one having it. Yeah. <laughs> like breathing right. in, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So that was that was a low point. So I finally got my life together, got my new career on track and wine. Mm-hmm. And, then, mm-hmm. and then in talking about everything we'd been through the past year with the agency and the, the failed embryo transfers, a family member offered to carry for us. Wow. And so we were like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. She is perfect. This is a dream come true. Oh my like oh my she already has three kids. Like it's perfect. She was And what did she nice say? Day. Do you remember? Did she like call you or was it like an email or in person or what? Well, this was she had always been such a supporter of me going to study wine in Napa and like just girl power and she has her own business and she's so this was basically like a drunk wine night and we were saying goodbye after like me just kind of spilling my guts about what's been going on and she was like I think we we were at her kitchen counter and she was like, I'll do it. And I was like, are you serious? She's like, yeah, I've, I've actually already talked to my dad about it. And I've like been thinking about it for a long time. And I'm like, you know, that would be like a dream come true. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she's like, let me talk to my husband and then we'll, we'll regroup. And so he was on board and yeah, it was just oh, such a blessing. That's amazing. Oh, so we at that point we were like, all right, let's do IVF again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's see what we get this time. It's been four years mm-hmm. um, since the first one. And, and how old were you right. at this point? I was twenty six okay. at the first the first time, and I was thirty one the second time. Okay, so s- still like super young, right? I mean, this is a lot to have gone through already. Yeah. 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 Right. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm unleashing all my crap right now. (laughs) Good. Get it out. Okay. So yeah, we did IVF again, same clinic. The doctor was like, why didn't these take? I don't understand. Let's do it again. And so we got two PGS tested this time Mm -hmm. and we only got 11 eggs. And I was just like shocked. I was like, Oh my God. I started crying when I woke up from anesthesia from the egg retrieval. I'm like, Oh my God, we only got 11. Cause you know Mm -hmm. how that number dwindles. 
Yes, absolutely. Well, and so two PGS tested and, and then about, I think it was like six months later, we were gearing up for embryo transfer, but that's when COVID was kind of in its peak in mm. March. So we postponed everything a couple months and we were all just like, all right, it's now or never. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. So embryo transfer was just this past August, August 21st. Was it nerve wracking to not be going through an agency or did you like get a good lawyer and you you guys felt pretty comfortable about it or like, we didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we don't, we didn't have a lawyer. We don't have a psychologist. We don't have like anything, but I, I just, she's just family like yeah on John's side. So it's kind of like, well, this is great because we don't have to spend so much money this time. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So I just, yeah, she's, I feel more comfortable texting her a lot too, as opposed to before. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have that relationship with our former carrier and, and, and our family member, like we know. So obviously. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay. So tell me about when you guys, so you did the transfer. Tell me about when you found out the moment that it was working. Oh, so we actually did an at-home test the day before our blood draw. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Literally. John and I down the family planning aisle at CVS had no idea like where to find a pregnancy test. We're like not really comfortable down this aisle. (laughs) (laughs) We're like equally confused. Like, I think it's this one. I don't know. Right. What should we get? There's so many options. (laughs) Yeah. So we got one and we brought it to her office. And so she took, we actually both like went in the bathroom at the same time, which was really cool. And I was like, put it in your pocket, put it in your pocket. And then uh, we went out, out in the hall and Jonathan grabbed the tests from her uh-huh. and we were like, wait, let's wait. It hasn't been a minute. And we were freaking out. Like, I didn't want to see it. I'm like, no, I don't know. And then all of a sudden he just like put the stick in my face and I opened my eyes and it was two pink lines. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, there's two. Oh, the best feeling. Oh my gosh. So awesome. So mm-hmm. awesome. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the next stick, the digital one said yes. And then, and so we're all excited. And then the next day we got beta and the numbers were great. And then the second beta and those numbers were great. And we're like, oh my God, it's working. Like it's Mm -hmm. literally working. It's so crazy. Such a crazy feeling. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. So are you, how are you feeling like right this very moment? So she's, how far along is she? She's seven weeks and two days. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. And are you, you said you're obviously really close with her and able to text and stuff. Are you doing any like FaceTime appointments or anything like that when she goes in or can you go with her or like, yeah, we're doing, we're doing FaceTime. Okay. Um, for the first ultrasound, we actually were in the parking lot and then she FaceTimed us, which was awesome. I'm just, I can't even believe it. Yesterday I texted her and I'm like, okay, so we are graduating from the clinic at 11 weeks. So we need to find an OB. And she's like, oh my gosh, we're almost through the first trimester. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where's the time going? Oh my gosh. Tell me about, you had another really heartwarming and like, again, I'm so sappy, but like it made me well up about hearing the heartbeat for the first time. Tell me about that in your own words. Oh my gosh. Unreal. Like, I, 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 we made a YouTube video and I think I watched the YouTube video like 700 times. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So surreal. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to like cut out the heartbeat and just like keep playing it. It's yeah. like, <laughs> like we made a human, you know? Yes. It's the best sound. Okay. So for people who are listening and who might be feeling 
you know, like you said, it took you at 1.6 months to kind of get back on track and get out. You know, the depression is real. Like I definitely went through a depression while I was dealing with this. Do you have any words of encouragement or like how someone can maintain their hope when they're not feeling themselves or when they're not sure what's going to happen next? If I'm having a really bad day, I literally just like go to bed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, tomorrow will be better. Take it day by day. And I just kind of remembered, like, I'm not the only one struggling. Like, there's a lot of women out there struggling with it. So that kind of gives me some peace. But yeah, I just think taking it day by day, gosh, with everything, you know, even now I'm like, we're seven weeks, two days, but like day by day, you know? Yeah. Does it still feel, because I know I had this too, after having losses and unsuccessful times, you know, even when you do get pregnant or there's a pregnancy, you still can't really relax. Have you experienced that a little bit too? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we like, everything's announced already all on social media. I just like, I'm praying nothing happens, but you know what, if something happens, like I'm not going to hide it, obviously, you know? Right. Just it's the raw realness of, of everything. Yeah. And you know, what really helped me the most during that six months is occupying my time with something else. Like I really dove into my small business and like made that my baby. Mm-hmm. It was like hard to like get going with it because I was so down in the dumps. But then like, as soon as I got going, I, I like almost became addicted to it. And that kind of took my mind off of it. So it was just like pour it into something else. Tell me how sharing it on social media has like helped you. And were you ever nervous about, you know, just going all out? And like you said, like not knowing what's going to happen next and if there is anything bad or yeah. you know, how do you... I mean, in my head, I'm like, oh gosh, if something did happen, I feel like the haters would be like, that's why you shouldn't have shared so early, you know? Oh God. But like, I don't know if that would happen, but like in my head, you know, I always- Sure, sure. I mean, I I would hope not, but yeah, you never know. There's some real a-holes out there. It's just like, like, this is what, so when we were deciding, like, if we should share the beta one and beta two, my husband, John's like, you've already shared, like, you don't have a uterus. <laughs> like what more? <laughs> like, you know, I've just been like, so for so long. <laughs> oh my God. It's just, I feel like the struggle is part of the story and like being transparent helps other people too. And I feel like as women, the worst thing we can do is hide it and act like everything's perfect when it's not. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Jacqueline and Jacqueline, you are such a doll. Thank you so much for your honesty and for talking about your syndrome. This is amazing. And I know you're shedding light and helping so many people. So I wanted to remind you guys this weekend is Fertility Rally Live. It's finally here. It's on Saturday, October 24th. So You can still get tickets if you go to fertilityrally.com. There's a link and we have $10 off if you use the promo code rally with us. Also, the best part is that even if you can't watch it live or be there on Saturday, you have 30 days where you have full access to the entire event. So you can go into any of the talks. We've got 17 breakout sessions, two panels, two keynotes, and a bunch of other surprises. So it's going to be really, really awesome. We've been planning it for months. We really hope to rally like mofos with you guys there. We also have a happy hour at the end of the day and a VIP after party. So it's going to be an awesome event, a celebration of this amazing infertility 
community and all the wonderful people in this horse club with the best members. So hope to see you guys. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.